Today we'll be looking at the last few verses of the last chapter of the book of Exodus as we close off this series. Uh, if you have your Bible or your device with you today, you can turn to Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. Now the first part of that chapter describes the final stages of setting up the tabernacle that God has instructed them to make. And we pick up the narrative in verse 33, the end of verse 33, where it says, At last Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. The cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day. The fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is a dramatic conclusion to the book of Exodus. In fact, all the events of Exodus lead up to this dramatic conclusion with God's cloud coming down upon the tabernacle. Let's just review the timeline for a second, because it has been, curiously enough, almost exactly a year since he left Egypt, just two weeks short of a year, according to the narrative. Uh, this is the first day of the first month of a new year, and it begins with this drama. Uh, it took them, once they left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, it took them two months to get to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, we know that uh, Moses went up onto the mountain for two periods of 40 days each, which means approximately another uh, three months. And in that last visit on the mountain, God gave him the instructions for building this tabernacle. So he now has approximately seven months in which they accomplish the completion of this task. And it is a mammoth task. The description of the tabernacle goes on for five chapters in the book of Exodus. And it includes incredible detail about the materials used, gold and silver and bronze, uh, numerous kinds of precious stone, uh, special kinds of wood, uh, special fabrics, linen, um, many with uh, specific needlework accomplished on it. Uh, there are the skins and hides that make up the, uh, uh, the fabric of the tabernacle itself. All of this detail needs to be accomplished as quickly as possible. Now, two things make that possible. First of all, God had provided a man by the name of Bezalel who, amazingly enough, was skilled in all the different trades necessary uh, to accomplish this work. The metalwork, the gemstones, the needlework, the fabrics, all of this he, he could know, and he mobilized the people, which would have amounted to about a million adult people, mobilized them to get this task done in only seven minutes, starting from scratch with only bare materials. And you might ask the question that uh, where did they get all of this expensive material from since they were just slaves in Egypt? And of course, the answer is that the day they left Egypt, God gave them specific instructions to ask their taskmasters for these valuable gold, silver, 
furs, uh, fabrics, and the uh, Egyptians, their taskmasters were so desperate to get rid of them that they gladly gave them all of their valuables, and they, in fact, plundered the Egyptians. So get this amazing picture that as they're leaving Egypt, they're carrying with them the bangles, the necklaces, the rings, the expensive fabrics, and so on, all of this wealth those poor slaves are carrying off into the wilderness. Now, we can see now in hindsight that to a great degree, God intended the use of that wealth for the building of this tabernacle. They could have not done it without it. It's also a sad commentary that when Moses was too long up in the mountain, they got impatient and they got Aaron to make them the golden calf using the very gold that was destined for the tabernacle. And it is telling that when Moses came down and discovered their sin and their idolatry, he took that golden calf and ground it to dust. For that, those valuables, which had been destined for the tabernacle, had been desecrated and couldn't be used for that purpose. But imagine, if you will, the seven-month period, because this tabernacle was constructed right in the very center of the, uh, the nation of Israel. They were organized three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west, and right in the middle was to be the tabernacle. So everyone, I'm sure, was curious. They were called upon to donate the uh, materials for it, but they were also were called upon to build. And I'm sure were curious as they all contributed this whole nation mobilized to build this in seven months. And you can imagine uh, not just the curiosity in the process, but the sense of accomplishment when it was done and they looked there and saw their finished work. But imagine even more so the sense they must have felt when the cloud of God's presence comes down upon their handiwork and fills it. And God gives his stamp of approval on this massive effort. But there's also another sense of progression here, and that is their experience of the cloud. Because this isn't the first time this fiery cloud has appeared. It, it appeared first to Moses himself as the burning bush. And then the day they left Egypt, that cloud appeared in front of them and led them to the Red Sea. It uh, when Pharaoh decided to pursue them with his army. The cloud, in fact, moved to behind them and protected them from the army, held back the army while they escaped across the Red Sea. The cloud led them through the wilderness those two months to get to Mount Sinai. And then at Mount Sinai, it seems, the cloud retreats to the top of the mountain. And it is described as being uh, fire and thunder and lightning, a cloud by day and a cloud of fire at night. It was an awesome spectacle. And it was probably very fearful thing as well because they had been warned, do not touch the mountain, stay back. There was a perimeter beyond which they could not pass lest they be in danger of dying. See, God is so holy. God is so powerful that we can't even understand how holy, 
how powerful, how loving, how good, how vast, how infinite he is. And this cloud then dwelt on top of the mountain during their time at Sinai, except that there was actually a tabernacle previous to the one uh, described in chapter 40. Now, we don't often think about this or hear sermons about it, but uh, this first tabernacle was a lot different. It was very plain, unadorned, and it was outside the camp. God felt that the people, especially after their fall into idolatry, he could not bring his presence into the midst of a rebellious, stubborn, selfish people. And so this simple tabernacle was out on the edge of the camp. And uh, Moses and Joshua would go out there and meet with God. And here's the description from um, Exodus chapter 33. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their tent. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now Moses would come back from those sessions with his face glowing to such an extent he had to cover his own face with a veil that was so bright. They knew this was something powerful going on. But you have a sense as they um, stood there and watched from the doorway of their tents, they must have been aware that there were ones who could not approach God. Now, it was about this time that God has a conversation with uh, Moses. And you'll forgive me if I paraphrase it extensively here. But uh, I imagine the conversation going along these lines, similar to what the scripture describes. God calls Moses and said, listen, Moses, we've got a problem. These people are too sinful. I can't stay in the midst of them. You're going to have to go onto the promised land by yourself. It's okay. I prepared the land for you. Go ahead. Moses was horrified. He says, oh, Lord, we can't do that. The moment these nations around us hear that you're no longer with us, uh, they will realize that we are vulnerable. They will lose their respect and their fear of you, and they will destroy us, Lord. You can't do that. Lord, you must come with us. The Lord says, okay, but I'm going to just, I'll send my angel. My angel will go with you. He'll protect you. And Moses, in what must be uh, only regarded as boldness and insight and longing, says, Lord, Without your presence amongst us, we are nothing. Lord, don't send us unless you come with us. And is it at that moment that God calls Moses uh, up to the mountain for the second 40-day period in which he gives the description, the instructions for the tabernacle. It is extensive, goes on for five chapters from uh, chapter 33 on to uh, 39, approximately. And um, the 
tabernacle is constructed, as we've seen. Now, this is a very significant event. The coming down of God's presence into that tabernacle uh, and the conclusion of the book of Exodus can't but help us uh, point us to another book, the book of Revelation, and the closing uh, scene of that book as well. Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3 describes this. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now that is strikingly familiar, but it is the ultimate fulfillment. You see, the fulfillment of Moses' tabernacle was only partial. In order for that tabernacle to stay there, for God's presence to be there, it required all of the regalia, the uh, ritual, continual sacrifices every day, morning and evening, to cover for the sins of the people. And even then, the cloud of God's presence was hidden away in behind the Holy of Holies on top of the Ark of the Covenant, protected by a curtain, a veil, no man went there except once a year the high priest alone could go in there, and then only by making special sacrifices. But this is different. The ultimate that it is pointing to and it is described in the book of Revelation is God dwelling unhindered, not in a tabernacle, but right within his people. This can also not help but point us backward to the book of Genesis, where in the garden, man walked with God. God walked with man in the cool of the evening, the scripture says. The unhindered, naked, unafraid, no shame and no sin. That was where it started and one day that's where it will end. And so that is the significance of this moment for that tabernacle and all it points to, it was a testimony to the people of Israel for generations to come of what God's plan and purpose in history is. Now, what about us today then? What does this mean for us today? Well, um, there's an old saying that says, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. So we look to the New Testament, which actually has a lot to say about the book of Exodus and about this tabernacle. Let's look at the scriptures. First of all, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And this is Matthew's description of that moment when just before Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Something as dramatic has happened here. Now, it was only a hint, a demonstration. Uh, the, tab the uh, temple nearby where, again, the Ark of the Covenant was behind the veil, that veil split in two. And for a period of time, I'm sure they uh, quickly repaired it, but for a period of time, the way was opened to the Ark of the Covenant. And God was saying, the way to the presence of God is again open. The sacrifice of Jesus has done what it was meant to do. That's described more fully in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he, Jesus, entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. The book of Hebrews continues in the next chapter, chapter 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We no longer hang back in fear. We no longer have to stand at, at a distance and hope for it. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What they only glimpsed symbolically that day in Exodus chapter 40, we now can live in reality. One more scripture, and here we turn to Paul's letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2. And he makes a passing allusion here to the events of Exodus, and this is what he says. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Now, the cloud and the sea, the cloud is referring to the cloud of God's presence, the sea is referring to the Red Sea, and by calling it a baptism, he is paralleling it to the our experience as Christians, where through the waters of baptism, uh, we become followers of Jesus as they were followers of Moses and we are immersed into the cloud of God's presence. The Holy Spirit comes down upon us and in us to lead us and guide us. It goes on. All of them ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual water. Now, in Exodus, the Exodus experience, he was referring to them eating the manna, which miraculously appeared every morning, and to drinking the water, which miraculously uh, flowed out from a rock. They experienced the manna and the supernatural water, and Paul goes on to exp explain how we in communion do the same thing. We eat the bread, in the wine, the juice, speaking of the body and blood of Christ, 
and we commune. We share a communion in Christ in that manner. Now, for those of you who are online today, I'd be, you'd be interested to be aware that right this Sunday at Central Heights, 11 people of various ages and backgrounds are being baptized. And you might also be interested to know that we are celebrating with communion, sharing the bread and the wine together, again, as we do every, every first Sunday of the month. We celebrate, we experience what they only looked forward to in Exodus. So, for you, for you listening today, let me ask you these questions. Where are you today? Are you perhaps one who's standing at the doorway of your tent and you see the, you see the, the presence of God in the life of other people? And there's something longing in you, fearing it perhaps, but longing for it. Then I'm going to invite you today, don't let the, this opportunity go by. Here's what you do. You go to our, the homepage on our website and you click on that connect menu at the top of the page and um, click on the follow Jesus button if you want to learn more. Better yet, click on the connect card and make contact with us. We would love to share with you face-to-face, person-to-person, and lead you into this experience of following Jesus that we enjoy. Now, perhaps you are a believer already, and when I've mentioned baptism, that's perhaps twigged something in you and say, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Well, this is your moment too, friend. Again, what do you do? Go to that homepage, click on the connect menu and choose baptism to learn more about it or better yet, again, click on that connect card and let us talk to you person to person. Or maybe you are just longing to grow in your Christian faith. You know you need prayer. You need to learn more of the scriptures of the Bible. Maybe you need some counsel on specific issues. Maybe you just need some good encouragement. There are a host of uh, gatherings, uh, some in homes and some uh, at the church in the course of a week. So again, hit that connect button, friend, and uh, reach out to us so we can reach out to you. And if you haven't yet or haven't been able to for some time, I certainly invite you to come join us at Central Heights. Join us on uh, first Sunday of a month for communion. Join us anytime. Join us some of our small groups, more informal gatherings. Come and live with us in the presence of God. And I pray the presence of God goes with you today from this moment on in a powerful, meaningful way and will lead you through whatever wilderness you may be looking ahead. He'll lead you right through that to the life that he's meant you to live. Lord, let that be our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.